Welcome back to True Crime San Antonio. I am just another San Antonio native, and thank you for tuning in. If you're new to the show, we cover crime from San Antonio, Texas exclusively. This week's story is one of pure misfortune. Wrong place at the wrong time, if you will. Lauren Bump had chosen to give her time and life to giving back and helping those who needed it until she went for a run and never came home. Question is, how do we justify this kind of tragedy? Well, there is none, only justice. But first, San Antonio, true crimes this week. At around 12.15 p.m. Sunday, February the 20th, an officer with the San Antonio Police Department was handling a traffic accident across the street from an apartment complex when he heard gunshots ring out. The officer then went over to the complex to investigate and noticed a young man holding an AR rifle and a shotgun. When the officer tried to make contact, the man took cover between two vehicles, causing the officer to back up. He then popped up moments later from in between the two vehicles and the officer shot it for him to drop his weapons before firing several rounds in his direction. He was not hit by the gunfire and quickly gave up. 20-year-old Michael Berger was taken into custody. It was then that the bodies of two people, a man and a woman, were found dead just outside a first-floor apartment. The two were identified the next day by Spring Branch Independent School District officials as 56-year-old William Bill Berger and 58-year-old Noreen Berger, the adoptive parents of the suspect. William Berger was an assistant principal for the last 11 years with the district and had served Spring Branch for three decades. Noreen Berger, who retired in 2020, had worked at the district for 25 years. She worked as a substitute teacher since her retirement. Police believed the incident stemmed from family violence. Neighbors of the Houston area couple were shocked to learn about their deaths and the murder arrest of their 20-year-old son. A neighbor called them the nicest people, helpful and always cheerful when they went to the mailbox. Neighbors suspect that Bill and Noreen were visiting Michael as he attended school in San Antonio. They adopted him when he was a baby. Neighbors said Michael was friendly and would do chores around the neighborhood to make money growing up. He's now facing a capital murder charge and is being held at the Bear County Jail on a $500,000 bond. What caused this kid to do something like this? Seriously. Also, on June the 8th, 2019, 20-year-old single mother Marissa Jernigan was shot to death by her ex and father of her child. She had left him six months prior and was trying to move on with her life for the betterment of her young son, Ryder. On that day, the man climbed an AC unit and scaled the balcony of her second-story apartment at the Alamo Oaks apartment complex and gained access by smashing the glass door. Marissa's roommate was home at the time. She overheard the glass shattering, followed by shouting, arguing, and then gunshots. She told the San Antonio police right away who was responsible for Marissa's death, Brian Ontiveros. Marissa's friends believe Ontiveros was bitter that Marissa was moving on so well without him. 
One of her friends told a story of how Ontiveros once threw a brick through Marissa's car window while she was stopped at a light. Marissa told her that she thought he didn't want to see her independent. The night before her death, Marissa attended a party where Brian showed up and pistol whipped another man in a fit of jealous rage. Marissa texted her friend the next morning about the encounter, telling her she was home safe. Two hours later, Ontiveros would shoot her five times, killing her. Ontiveros fled the scene and a manhunt involving the U.S. Marshals ensued. Two days later, with his brother's help, Ontiveros crossed the border into Nuevo Laredo, Mexico. Their father and other family lived in Mexico. He stayed active on social media, even taunting Marissa's family after her death and posting illicit images and videos of Marissa online. The case received national attention when it was featured on the investigation discovery show In Pursuit with John Walsh. John called him an illiterate coward punk who deserved to be brought to justice. It was aired in August of 2022. Less than six months later, on February the 3rd, this past Thursday, 26-year-old Brian Ontiveros was taken into custody in Piedras Negras, Mexico, after being sought for more than two and a half years. The U.S. Marshal's Office said they coordinated with law enforcement in Mexico to find him hiding out in the city of Piedras Negras, which is across the border from Eagle Pass, Texas. He is being held in Eagle Pass and is waiting to be extradited to the Bear County Jail in San Antonio. Along with the murder charge, Ontiveros is also facing federal charges for unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. I've always been a fan of John Walsh. I used to wait for Saturday and watch America's Most Wanted all the time. I know he didn't do it alone. Law enforcement did their job, but this made me love the man more. Can't wait to see this coward brought to justice. And lastly, a portion of West Side Street will soon be renamed in memory of a little girl who was murdered at a laundromat decades ago. Christopher Palmer was a classmate of Jennifer Sue Delgado when she was murdered in 1988 at the age of seven. She was stabbed along with her mother by a random man after he got frustrated with a vending machine. While her mother survived, Jennifer did not. Her murder has remained unsolved with only a sketch of the possible suspect released. If you have any information that could be useful for the investigators in the cold case, you're urged to call the San Antonio Police Department cold case tip line. In the past year, Christopher raised funds to afford the application fee and production of signs. In October of 2021, Christopher raised enough money to submit the application with the city of San Antonio making its way through various departments and finally to city council. He said, I'm so very happy I got approved. Christopher called it a kind of closure for him, that she will never be forgotten and hopes someone will come forward with information. In about four to six weeks, a portion of West Rock Drive, where that laundromat was once located, will be named Jennifer Sue Delgado Memorial Way. All right, I think we're good. Here we go, episode 22. 
Warning. This story depicts accounts of violence and adult themes that may be found disturbing and unsuitable for some. Listener discretion is advised. While most of us were getting ready for the New Year parties and fireworks to end 2013, Lauren Bump was doing what she loved, going for a run. She went to Opie Schnapel Park on the city's northwest side, just two miles from her dad's home. She was on holiday break from Harding University in Searcy, Arkansas, where she was studying to become a physician's assistant. The park was known as a safe place. Sure, there were occasional occurrences where the cops were called, a couple of assaults, mostly stemming from arguments and such. Nobody thought anything like an attack or a murder by a complete stranger was even a possibility, or at least it was the furthest thing you could imagine would happen. But on December the 31st, 2013, just after 5 p.m., a couple walking with their son encountered a strange man in the park who gave the wife a bad feeling. They had no interaction with the man, and the three continued on their way to the children's playground. After about 45 minutes, they were walking back to their car when the husband noticed Lauren's body lying face down in a pool of blood just off the pathway. As he called 911, the wife checked for a pulse and noticed that the woman had wounds all over her body. A bicyclist was also standing nearby calling 911 for help when officers arrived. They said the woman did not appear to be breathing when the officers checked on her and an emergency medical technician pronounced a 24-year-old Lauren Bump dead at 6.15 p.m. In a statement to the media, the San Antonio Police Department Chief William McManus said, We don't have any indication out there right now as to whether it was a relationship or whether it was someone who had been mentally ill. We just don't know. It appears she was either exercising or just walking. According to Lauren's instructors, she was in the middle of her clinical rotations for the graduate program. She was due to start her emergency medicine rotation the next Monday. The District 7 city councilman at the time, Chris Medina, whose district includes the park, expressed his condolences for Lauren's family. It is very unsettling to our community, he said. SAPD knows it's a high priority to find the person responsible and bring them to justice. Opie Schnabel is one of the gems of our park system. It is so out of character for something like this to happen there. The Bear County Medical Examiner's Office concluded that Lauren had suffered multiple sharp force injuries and ruled her death a homicide. Two days later after Lauren's body was discovered, an online fundraiser had reached more than $11,000 in donations only after a few hours. The family also told a local news station, Ken's Five, that they were offering a cash reward for information leading to an arrest in the case, and they urged anyone who could help to contact San Antonio police. And while police were investigating what may have been the last murder of 2013, worry and fear from the crime had the local running community on high alert. Opie Schnabel Park is a popular training ground for marathon runners because it's easy to access. There isn't car traffic, and it's relatively safe, but the local running community was frightened as a result of the incident. 
the murder and the response among the running community was reminiscent of a 1991 slain in which a mother was stabbed to death in almost part while jogging with her 19-month-old daughter. The death of 32-year-old Valerie McPherson had been previously described as one of the most senseless murders San Antonio has ever seen. Valerie was spotted by another jogger kneeling over her daughter's stroller moments after the stabbing. The child was unharmed, but to this day, her killer has never been caught. On Friday, January the 3rd, as the sun began to set at Opie Schnabel Park, a few runners and mountain bikers made their way past the trailhead, where a small memorial to Lauren containing a wreath, balloons, and flowers were placed. Several people stopped to read the words written on the pink paper inside the small shrine, in loving memory of Lauren Michelle Bump, whose life has touched so many as she showed God's love to all in so many, many ways. You will never be forgotten. Loving daughter to John and Laurie Bump, beautiful sister to Ryan and Stephen Bump. A silent mile was dedicated to Lauren by runners the next day and weeks to come. Several of the runners expressed their concerns about running alone and how it could have been any one of them. About four hours before Lauren was found, one of her best friends posted a picture on Instagram that she liked. I texted her that morning, said Gabby, at like 1 or 1.30, and she liked the photo. It was a picture of Macaroon, she said, and by 5.45, Lauren had been found. Gabby wasn't expecting to hear from her friend anymore that day, but when she saw the news that a body was found at the park, a known favorite running spot of Lauren's that she knew, she got nervous and texted her. I didn't get anything back, she said, explaining she later realized that the woman found was her friend. I don't know who could have done something like this to her, she said. I don't know who it could be. While those runners were remembering Lauren, who, like themselves, loved running, on January the 4th, the San Antonio Police Department arrested a man in connection with the stabbing death of Lauren Bump. 29-year-old Christian Ivan Batista was taken into custody at around 7 a.m. that Saturday by San Antonio Police Department homicide detectives. Police had been interrogating Batista as a possible suspect and arrested him after questioning. Police responded to a call about a suspicious person at the park on Friday the 3rd whose description matched the creepy man seen at the park before Lauren was found. After Bautista was taken into custody, he was questioned about his whereabouts at the time of the slain. He was arrested on unrelated outstanding warrants. The county records office, however, said Bautista was arrested with a preemptive fugitive warrant for murder, which was issued December the 31st. Bautista denied being at the park on New Year's Eve and later said he had been there but was not involved in the killing. SAPD sent out a press release that said great work and persistence by homicide, park police, crew road patrol, and SAFE led to this arrest. According to SAPD, Bautista's listed address was less than four miles from the park where Lauren was found. And as far as they could tell, there was no connection between Lauren and Bautista, who apparently rode his bike to the park. Services for Lauren were held at her church in San Antonio on January the 9th at Community Bible Church. She was laid to rest at Mission Burial Park North, where her family and friends got to say goodbye to Lauren, or rather, until we meet again.
A few weeks went by. Chief McManus increased patrols in parks and tried to ease everybody's fears, but it happened again. A woman who had been jogging was attacked on the Leon Creek Greenway, less than three weeks and only a few miles from where Lauren was found. The woman told police she was running on the Greenway at about 10 p.m. and that a man in a ski mask with a tattoo of a spider on his neck attacked her. She fought him off, escaping with minor injuries. This sent people in a bit of a panic. I mean, if they got the guy who killed Lauren, then that means there's someone else out there planning attacks. I lived a few miles from there and I remember we didn't go to the park for a few weeks, if not longer. Runners said the attacks wouldn't stop them, but that they would never run alone. Some said they were considering carrying pepper spray or taking self-defense classes. A local running group used Facebook to announce runs, but that changed quickly. About a week after that story was released to the media, this one followed. Woman admits park attack was a hoax. During the course of the investigation into the incident, police learned the woman had made it up, possibly because of some sort of relationship issue with a significant other. Chief McManus said, in our final interview, our last interview with the person, she finally admitted it was staged and there was no attack. I think it's important that this city knows there was no attack in the park. It never happened. It was fabricated. A lot of people were concerned, especially people who use the park a lot to relax and exercise. There was great concern there. After the claim was made, McManus said patrols had been stepped up in the area and officers were on the lookout for anyone matching the description of the non-existent attacker. It's unfortunate that the second allegation came on the heels of Lauren Bump's murder because it raised the alarm even further, he added. It's unfortunate because it alarmed the public. It's frustrating and it was a thoughtless thing to do. Not realizing what the repercussions would be, the ripples through the community. SAPD said the woman, who wasn't named, was not expected to face any charges, saying she might have been hesitant to tell the truth if charges had been in play. And I can't imagine why she would have made it up. Maybe she was seeking help and didn't know how to go about getting it. I hope she found it. A year had passed. Lauren should have been graduating from her physician's assistant program along with her classmates. And the 2014 PA class honored their classmate at the commencement ceremony in December by wearing pink cords in memory of their friend. The director of the PA program who retired in 2020, Dr. Michael Murphy, said he wanted to commemorate Lauren what would have been her graduation ceremony and thought the cords would be a perfect solution. The class really liked it too. It was in solidarity. Recognizing Lauren had an influence on all of them, he said. Lauren's classmate and close friend Whitney said she appreciated the gesture. I was so grateful that Harding would let us represent Lauren with the pink cords, she said. The week of graduation was a very emotional time for all of us, full of joy and full of sadness. Dr. Murphy added that choosing pink was a no-brainer because it was Lauren's favorite. She was always wearing pink, and they wore pink to her funeral too. President Bruce McClarty flew several professors to Lauren's funeral in 2013 so that the faculty who knew her could pay their respects. PA clinical director, Dr. Gary Hill, also attended. He was close with Lauren due to their time spent together on the mission trip to Guatemala in 2013. 
Dr. Hill said that before she passed away, Lauren had already signed up and raised the funds to attend the next mission trip in 2014. Whitney shared her sentiments about Lauren. She had a heart for the broken and for those that were outcasts. She truly was an example to us all in how she lived, her care and devotion to others, and her love for the Lord. Lauren's legacy remains in each of us. Every person we encounter during our careers as physician's assistants will have been influenced by Lauren and her story. A story of joy, hope, and love found only in the Lord our Savior. It took two years, but finally, Christian Bautista would be tried for the murder of Lauren Bump beginning on January the 25th, 2016. He was facing life in prison if convicted. Before the first juror was even seated, Judge Jefferson Moore had a stern warning for the defendant, Bautista, who wore an old t-shirt and supported a Charles Manson-esque haircut with a beard. He looked crazy. Bautista was making grunting sounds as deputies escorted him into the 186th District Court that Monday morning and the judge was already done with him. Mr. Bautista, I'm going to have to ask you to be quiet while we are conducting business, please, Judge Moore said. Throughout the trial, I'm going to request that you also not speak out of turn and that you wait until you are asked by either me or by your lawyers. The reason I bring that up is that it is my understanding that there were some issues about your behavior during your competency trial. In that trial during which Bautista was found competent, Court records show that Bautista exposed himself and made lewd sexual remarks to a female prosecutor. I will not allow any outbursts during this trial, the judge warned him. If you start acting up, then I'll have to make some necessary arrangements that will prevent you from acting up. I'm going to ask you to please minimize that as much as possible, he said. The opening statements were made and Prosecutor Mary Green started. She told the jury, at the end of the evidence, ladies and gentlemen, you will realize that you were sitting in the same room as a cold-blooded murderer. She was stabbed more than 20 times, and most of the blood from her body was seeping into the dirt below her. The defense lawyer, Tim Molina, shared no doubts he knew what the jury was thinking just looking at Bautista. It's no secret. He's weird, okay? You'll hear people describe him as creepy, that he stares at you and talks to himself. Molina said that no one witnessed the crime and reminded jurors that his client is innocent until proven guilty. He described Bautista as a weird guy and acknowledged at times he talks to himself, stares strangely, and mumbles, but said that's not against the law. He wasn't engaged in anything illegal, he said. He was just creepy. The first witness to be called was Lauren's father, John. He recalled the day when Lauren didn't show up for dinner on New Year's Eve 2013. He became concerned when she didn't answer his texts or calls, so he went to Obi Schnebel Park, where he and Lauren had run the day before. When he arrived just after nightfall, John said he was greeted by a police officer who refused to let him enter the park. He said the officer told him that police were investigating the murder of a woman whose body was found along one of the park's jogging trails. I definitely felt in my heart that it was her, John testified. I was almost trying to convince the detective it was her. I was so sure. As the trial got started, the judge was still not having any of Batista's crap. Batista was staring at women for extended periods of time. He muttered, giggled, and grunted while he stretched. He blew kisses at witnesses and court staff and was berated by Judge Moore, 
telling Batista that he would order him removed if he didn't stop. Another witness, Air Force 2nd Lieutenant Kelly Cooper, testified that she called police a few days after hearing of Lauren's death because she remembered being creeped out by the defendant when he approached her while she was walking her dog at the park on New Year's Eve. He invaded her personal space and asked her if she was alone, she said. I didn't know what to think. Then he got super close, she said. She testified the detective showed her two photographs of Batista in a lineup of other photos. She chose a photo of Batista. She was studying to be a dental hygienist at the time, and she drew Batista's teeth for police, saying they were chipped a certain way. The front four teeth had cavities. Pretty distinctive, she said on the stand. When prosecutors put up a photograph of the defendant showing his teeth alongside Cooper's drawing, the two images matched closely. When defense attorney Molina asked her about the lineup identification process, she said she recognized the photo as a man with whom she spoke. His eyes are light brown, she said. There's something about them. When he's looking at you, you just remember them. The next day, another witness for the state described her encounter with Bautista just hours before Lauren's body was found. She said she was confronted by Bautista while walking her dog. He looked me up and down with this absolutely horrid, malicious look. He got extremely close to me, she testified, adding that they were nearly nose to nose. Asked by lead prosecutor Mary Green if the encounter scared her, she said, yes, very much. She said that Batista began to follow her along the often secluded jogging trails woven through the Northwest Side Park. He had a knife and he was slicing branches, and you could hear the leaves making a swishing sound as he was whistling this tune, she testified. Prosecutor Green asked her if she recognized the tune. She said, I did. It was a tune from the movie Kill Bill. She could not, however, identify Batista in a photo lineup police showed her. But when Prosecutor Green asked her Wednesday if she could identify the man who confronted her in court, she pointed to Batista and said, He's at the front table with the defense attorney in the blue shirt. Batista showed her his tongue when she identified him, getting another warning from the judge. She said that she's still haunted by the encounter with Batista that day and has had to undergo therapy. The third day of testimony included the man and wife who discovered Lauren's body with her three-year-old son. Both Edward and Sierra Wagner testified about seeing Batista on that New Year's Eve. Edward testified that his wife jokingly said that he looked like a serial rapist. After they visited the children's playground and had a small picnic, they made their way back and found what Edward thought was someone filming a movie when he came upon the gruesome scene. He tried his best to keep his son from viewing it. I was kind of in shock when I saw it because it didn't seem real. She was just lying on the floor face down. I could actually see some blood, a lot of blood. Sierra testified that while her husband called 911, she examined Lauren. I couldn't feel a pulse, so I looked at her back to see if she was breathing, and that's when I noticed that her body was mutilated. When they realized she was dead, Sierra immediately recalled the man they had met and exclaimed, he fucking killed her. The first paramedic on the scene that evening testified that almost every ounce of blood had been drained from her body. The defense filed several motions to suppress evidence regarding photographs that the witness were shown by police in photo lineups, objecting because he said, all pointed out that the defendant's hair is longer now than it was at the time of his arrest, and that he has more facial hair today. It was overridden. 
The next Monday, the roommate of Bautista, Ryan O'Shea, testified against him. O'Shea and Bautista shared a rundown mobile home in northwest San Antonio. He said the defendant moved in early December 2013. He did not testify that Bautista did drugs, but said tension arose when Bautista bought Christmas presents for his daughter with a $300 gift card that O'Shea had loaned him to buy groceries. O'Shea said he got a combat knife from a friend, but regifted it to Bautista the weekend after Christmas. Bautista had been walking around it with it stuck in his pants, which looked uncomfortable, like it could cut into his leg, O'Shea said. O'Shea testified that he had last saw Bautista with a knife on December the 30th. He said he didn't see his roommate again until January the 1st, and that's when he asked him about the knife. Bautista told him, I stuck some bitch, and I had to get rid of it. I blew it off, honestly, he testified. I thought he was trying to be how he normally acted. He usually acted tough like that. O'Shea said a friend was at the house and mentioned someone had died at Opie Schnabel Park and that there was a killer on the loose. When he repeated the news to his roommate, Batista just stared at him. O'Shea testified that it scared him and that he started giving him the creeps. He said that when he learned of the young woman's murder, he went to the police on January the 3rd and told them of the conversation he had with Batista. Defense attorney Molina challenged O'Shea on the differences among the seven different statements he gave to police, including not mentioning the knife the first time he talked to officers. O'Shea said, I was under the influence of heroin, and I was really out of it at that time. Once I found out it was an innocent young woman, I'd rather he be locked up. O'Shea had injected heroin and had done methamphetamine when he was questioned by police in the days after the death. He told officers in a subsequent interview that he gave Bautista the knife and drew a sketch of it for them. O'Shea said he was upset that he had provided the knife to Bautista, then depressed, and continued to battle addiction. He said on that Monday on the stand that he had been clean for three weeks. A DNA expert with the Bear County Crime Lab, Garen Foster, testified that he analyzed clothing samples collected from the crime scene and the trailer where Bautista lived. He said a combined mixture did not exclude Lauren or Bautista from those items of clothing. A Bear County Deputy Medical Examiner, Rajesh Kanan, detailed for the court every cut, stab, and slash wound Lauren had suffered in the attack. He testified that she had 21 deep stab wounds and 6 incised cuts. When shown the sketch drawn by O'Shea for police, he said Lauren's wounds could have been caused by such a weapon. Defense attorney Tim Molina told jurors in closing arguments that Batista's behavior was weird, but that it didn't mean he was guilty of murder. This is a tough one because you have sympathy for the family. He stressed that Lauren was a good person from a good family, but Batista quickly became a person of interest for no other reason than his odd behavior. He faulted San Antonio police and news media for focusing on him to the exclusion of other possible suspects. Molina said there were numerous friends of Batista's roommate admitted drug user Ryan O'Shea, who stayed at their trailer and could have had access to the knife. Where are they, he asked. He said runners inserted themselves into the investigation and inflamed others, and accused witnesses who placed Batista in the park that day of adding and embellishing details. And he cited the use of social media in creating the impression that Batista was guilty before the case was ever presented. There was little solid evidence, no weapon or clothing that directly connected Bautista to Bump's death, he told the jury. 
At the most, you have people saying they saw Christian in the area. In her closing arguments, Prosecutor Wendy McClellan emphasized the number of witnesses who saw Batista at the park on that day, including those who saw him sitting at the location on the trail where Bump's body was found. Don't let him get away with murder, she urged the jury. Lead Prosecutor Mary Green was more assertive in her arguments to the jury. This is a match, she said, pointing to the underwear and t-shirt and saying DNA on Batista's innermost layer of clothing has Lauren's blood on it. This was a sadistic, senseless, predatory crime, Green said. It saddens me that the last face this beautiful woman saw is the face of evil. He must be held responsible. Find him guilty. On February the 2nd, 2016, the jury started deliberations just before noon and came back in 20 minutes. They found Christian Ivan Batista guilty of the murder of 24-year-old Lauren Bump. A statement released through the Bear County District Attorney's Office shortly after the verdict from Lauren's parents and brothers read, No verdict or punishment could possibly come close to replacing our loss, and now they are trying to build a life without their dear Lauren. No evil act can quiet God's love. This is why her life touched so many and continues to, and why she will never be forgotten. The next day was set for punishment phase wherein the prosecution laid out Batista's criminal history, including his ties with the Mexican Mafia. Since turning 19 in 2003, Christian Batista has been arrested on almost a yearly basis, starting in California, moving to Travis County, and ending here in San Antonio. When he was arrested on the murder charge of Lauren, Batista had been out of prison barely more than two months. He was released on October the 29, 2013, from a Huntsville prison where he had just finished serving his entire six-year sentence after pleading no contest in 2008 to an aggravated robbery committed the prior year. Bautista, also known as Plex, and two other men went to an 18-year-old's apartment on the afternoon of October the 26, 2007 to buy some weed. When the seller opened the door, one man punched him in the face and Bautista pulled a tire iron or crowbar and began hitting him with it. As he hit the man, Batista yelled, Don't look at me, bitch. The man grabbed a pillow from his bed and covered his head to protect himself. Batista and the other two men ran off with the drugs and an iPod. The man who was attacked told police that he had recognized Batista as a person who rode his bike around the Thousand Oaks apartment complex area. Batista was out on bail at the time of the attack. Five days earlier, he had been arrested for the possession of marijuana. The robbery was the only violent offense in Bautista's criminal history, which consisted mostly of minor drug charges. There was a criminal mischief case in Travis County, resulting in nine months incarceration. Gang expert Nick Rocha testified to the jury that based on Bautista's answers that he gave when he was placed in custody, he had an affiliation with the Mexican Mafia. Rocha testified, the Mexican Mafia is a blood in, blood out mentality. You can't jump on and off that ride. Rocha noted that the gang has a long history at the Bear County Jail and that when new inmates come in, officials have to ask them for affiliations to ensure rivals are kept apart to avoid violent encounters. The prosecution then showed photos of several tattoos on Bautista's stomach, including the number 13, which is often connected to the Mexican Mafia because M is the 13th letter of the alphabet. Bautista also has a large image of an Aztec warrior on his back with the word soldado 
in large letters above it. It means soldier. A Bear County Sheriff's deputy testified about a shank that was found in Bautista's prison-issued jumpsuit while he was in jail in 2014, as well as another weapon. He was charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon four months into his incarceration for the murder. Jurors took less than an hour to return the maximum punishment for 31-year-old Christian Bautista, who for the first time in over a week had anger upon his face after learning his fate. He will have to serve 30 years before he's eligible for parole in 2044, making him 59 years old. Several of Lauren's family members shared stories about her and her numerous contributions to the community. They told jurors about her mission trip and charity runs. At the time of her death, Lauren was about to start her final year and obtain her degree as a physician's assistant at Harding University in Arkansas. Family members also testified about the loss they have suffered since the incident. John Bump told the jury about his only daughter's vibrance and passion for life. Most people would never forget having met her once, he said. He described Lauren as someone who cared so much about people and her interactions with them that she chose to be a physician's assistant instead of a medical doctor. She wanted to be more hands-on with people, he said. When asked by the prosecution whether Bautista should be let out of prison, he said no. I wouldn't want anyone to go through what we have gone through. Lauren's oldest brother, Ryan, broke down in tears when describing the phone call he received from his father about Lauren. He said, it's Lauren, it's horrible, she's dead. When his dad told her she was killed in the park, he thought it was by an animal. Ryan said he and his brother had to drive the next day to East Texas, where their mother was visiting, to tell her about their sister's death. I remember mom looking at me, she starts screaming, where's Lauren, where's Lauren? picked her up and carried her to the bedroom and just held her. Ryan spoke through tears reliving the memory. Ryan said he had to tell his own daughter, then five years old, about his sister's death. It wasn't sure what to say because they were so close. He told the jury that he relied on the times that he read the Bible to his daughter and told her, Auntie Lauren has gone to heaven. Ryan told Batista, you try to take something great from this world. Justice in the courtroom is nothing compared to the justice you'll face forever. When he was done, Ryan helped his mother to the witness stand. Laurie described her daughter's last holiday visit. She had been home. We had a great time, she said. We got our nails done, a pedicure, went shopping. We hung out. The two had spoken every day, and without that interaction, it was hard for her to go back to work. Laurie said through her sobs, I didn't get the phone calls. Evil took her. I'm gonna get to see her again. She told Batista, you took her earthly body. You have no earthly power. You have none. Judge Moore's statement was short. Sir, I'm not sure what to say to you. You still have the opportunity to make changes in your life. Ryan Bump told reporters after the sentencing, he tried to take something very great from this world, and although in the physical sense Lauren is no longer with us, we have no doubt she felt and feels no pain. She's completely happy. She was with us here today and justice was served, and he is an evil person, and evil never wins. Assistant DA Mary Green said in a statement, the citizens of Bear County should sleep easier tonight knowing that the defendant will no longer be a threat to our sisters, 
daughters, and mothers. Batista would file an appeal in 2017 about not being competent to stand trial, something everyone believed he was making up to avoid prosecution. It was denied. When I look for stories to tell, I really don't look for them. Somehow they find me. I know how that sounds. I was on a completely different case when I crossed paths with Lauren. Call it what you want. I saw the story of her death, and then I saw the story of her life. It was crazy too, because lately I've been feeling a little bit down, a little bit of a failure if you will. I mean, things happen for a reason, right? God has a plan and all? Maybe. Lauren had a plan. She was supposed to be a doctor. She said so herself. That plan changed for her, more than once. She was so candid about it on a blog that I found by pure accident. <laughs> Another blog. Her words truly spoke to me as I read on through the night, and I'm so thankful to her that I found them. So, as we do on True Crime San Antonio, we remember Lauren. Lauren Michelle Bump was born to John and Laurie Bump on July the 24th, 1989. She was a 2007 graduate of O'Connor High School and received her bachelor's degree at McMurray University in Abilene. She was in her final year as a physician's assistant at Harding University in Arkansas. She was active in missionary work in Guatemala, various charities, and volunteer work. She loved the outdoors, her friends, family, and above all, God. Lauren touched many lives during her short time with us, and her Christian example will never be forgotten. On what would have been Lauren's 25th birthday, family and friends decided to get together to celebrate her life at the same park where she was taken. In an interview, Ryan said her actual birthday was the 24th. She'd be 25 today, and we're just gathering here at the park in remembrance of her. Everything is gonna be pink, we're just going to celebrate her life and keep the legacy going. Those that attended the celebration participated in a special balloon release and a silent mile run. Family also had t-shirts made to benefit Lawrence Memorial Foundation, which is gonna to go to help provide missionary medical groups in Guatemala. Her best friend Gabby said, it's a way that we can still share her life and her love for everybody and the love that she had for everybody. And I think it's just a way for us to continue to have her life lived because she is still here with us. So it's not like she's really gone. The two met during a Christian mission through Gateway Church in Helotus, where she was a youth advisor. They traveled together around South Texas, including in San Antonio, helping those in need. Lauren was ready to go back to Guatemala. She already had purchased her ticket. After graduation, she anticipated going abroad again for missionary work. Eventually, she hoped to settle back in Texas and have a family of her own. Gabby wasn't sure what she would miss the most, she said, adding that her friend was a pure reflection of how God wanted us to treat people. Gabby said Lauren loved to dote on her two young nieces. She absolutely adored them. She was kind and sweet to everybody and anybody, Gabby said. That's something I'll miss. But I also learned a lot from her and how to be kinder. And through her, I learned how God wants us to love people. 
Educators shared similar sentiments about Lauren. The chairman of the biology department at McMurray University in Abilene, Gary Wilson, said, I've worked with probably 10,000 students for years, and there are very few that make an impression on me like she did as someone who's just genuinely good. Lauren graduated summa cum laude from McMurray a semester early in 2010 and also served as her faculty advisor. She was just the second student at the small school to earn a bachelor's degree in biomedical science. Lauren went on to the PA program at Harding University and she was due to graduate in December 2014. No doubt she would have. The blog I mentioned earlier started with her big move how all her family chipped in to get her to Harding University, along with her beloved cat, Angel. She talked about how her recently installed windshield nearly came off on the journey, but the trip was a success. She wrote about how difficult it was to leave Texas, but knew the Lord was with her. I continued to read her posts, how she decorated her little apartment with her mom who stayed to help her out, how she made it all pink, she once stopped to take a picture of a rainbow that reminded her of God's promise and how she really needed it in that moment. She found a church close to her apartment and had a proud moment of realization in the sermon. She posted about her first week of class, how it was amazing to see people from all over working to the same goal, how she was blessed to be given the opportunity to be where she was. She had 28 months to get through in the accelerated program. She had one year left when she was taken. She posted again a month later about the work she was putting in. And I mean talking about learning on the fly. It wasn't easy, but she was doing it. She made it home for her brother's wedding to a woman she called her sister for many years and got to see her best friend, Gabby. It seemed like she had a solid group of girls helping her in those trying first few months. And by the way, at the end of all her posts, she loved to show off Angel who loved to claim multiple spots as her own, as cats often do. She posted again in January 2013. She had a semester under her belt and survived. She came home for the holiday and saw Manu Ginobili of the San Antonio Spurs at a restaurant with Gabby. Manu is this lifelong Spurs fan's all-time favorite. I'm jealous. And while she enjoyed her time with family and friends, she was ready to get back to work. She wrote, one of my favorite things to do during New Year's is to set aside a couple of hours of solitude to reminisce about the journey God took me on each year. Makes me wonder if that's what she was doing on that last run. She had an optimistic view on life. She ended with, I pray that you might be encouraged by reading my post today. Let's not doubt his unfailing love for us. I was more than encouraged. She posted again about a month later about her opportunity to go on a mission trip during spring break that year. Something she truly wanted to do long before going to PA school. School for Lauren was going better than ever and she wrote about her trip with the girls where she found spots she might be able to do her clinicals in the coming months. She wouldn't post again until November 16, 2013, her last post. The title was Success, but she wrote about her struggles after college the unknown, having to move back home with her parents, feeling like a failure, having that plan you set out for yourself and God saying, nope. She never lost her faith though. She never even faltered. I'm impressed with her words of encouragement and her love for God, which gave her the strength to live her life to its fullest right until the end. 
Thank you, Lauren. And that's our story. I hope you take some time today to find something you were good at and do it to help and love others, just like Lauren said. If you're a fan of the show, show your love with a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to help us grow. Let me know your thoughts on Instagram at TruePrimeSanAntonio. Would love to hear from you, truly. This has been True Crime San Antonio, and I am just another San Antonio native, hoping to see us through. Take care.